White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 555. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. All right, Nathan Laws is with us. Andy Fix is with us, of course. And Bobby Polite is with us. This is the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, and tonight we are reviewing all of Season 1. Andy, I guess we'll be here about six hours. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I'm, I'm ready for it. Well, it's so funny because you and I just did uh, the last two episodes last week, and we thought it would be shorter and end up being like two hours. <laughs> So we don't, we won't, I think we can bring it in a little more succinctly than that this time. But there was a lot to say about Chrysalis. Oh, yeah. Yes. There was. And we did. There was. Let's introduce our, our two, uh, our two special guests this week, Andy. We've got, uh, we've got Bobby Polite, who is old friend of mine, co-plotter on the Sentinels originally, co-creator, among other things. How are you doing tonight, Bobby? I'm doing all right. Glad to be here. Thank you, you for the invite. You've been around Babylon 5 from the very beginning, just like me, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I was uh, hunting, searching for episodes late at night. You know, back when it was on P10 in the oh, early days. So, oh lord, setting the VCR for four o'clock in the morning on Atlanta television—that's what we were doing. Amen. And yep. Nathan Laws, welcome aboard, sir. Babylon Five uh, Review Show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Van. Yeah, and you—you've you've been a B5 fan quite a while too, as far as I know, right? Yeah, I mean, I saw before they even called it The Gathering, I can't even remember, it was just like the Babylon 5 movie or whatever, mm. like when that came on as the Fox movie of the week or whatever, like I saw that, and so then when they were advertising for the series coming on, I was like, oh, I, I need to watch this because I was intrigued uh, from watching that original pilot. Absolutely, absolutely. They, that was the uh, Stuart Copeland scored original version before TNT mm. changed it up a little uh, bit. I would be really fascinated. I want to watch it again. I know it doesn't really like exist anywhere unless somebody has it like on an old VHS tape that they recorded off air or something. But I would really love to compare it because everything in my memory is the version that TNT. was redone for TNT because I've seen that so many more times. I've got that version somewhere, but I'm not sure. It may be on my Plex server and it may be in a DVD somewhere behind me, but I'm not really sure. But anyway... Uh, yeah, uh, Andy and I did a thorough job of, of dissecting the uh, the Gathering movie in our first episode for sure. But tonight, that's up for grabs tonight because tonight we're going to talk about all of season one. Andy and I have have done uh, eight episodes covering all the episodes of season one, and I think this is going to come out as we chat. That Andy and I have, and, and I don't want to speak too much for you, sir, but I think you agree with me that we have been very pleasantly surprised how well the first season aged. And I think we've been surprised about how certain characters 
were more important to the show than we realize. And our listeners that have been that have been listening to our series all along, they know exactly what I'm talking about. But I'm gonna I'm curious to hear what Bobby and Nathan think about that exact thing because I think that um, I think that my opinion changed some in some ways good, couple of ways. I agree. Eh, not as well. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we got some categories we're gonna get to in a little bit, but I want to have just general discussion. Uh, let me start with uh, Andy, if you don't mind. I'm gonna put you and me back for a second and let our two guests talk for a second. Bobby, when you think back about season one of Babylon 5, and I mean, I know that, and by the way, we're our show is spoiler-free from beyond where we are, so you can talk anything you want about season one, but we save anything beyond that for the spoiler at the end, at the very end of the show. So when you think about season one, what is your what are your fond or unfond memories just in general? Let's just start out in general, kind of. Well, my fondest memory probably is the fact that I was looking for a show that wasn't Star Trek and wasn't Star Wars, and it was like a completely new thing. And even the even the you know searching for it, trying to figure out when it was going to be on, <laughs> it was it was like looking for that comic book in a comic store back when they were hard to find, you know. And you you felt rewarded when you would see it, even though some of the episodes when you go back and watch them are not as good as later episodes. Um, I just I just like the the feeling that I was watching something new develop. I like the I like the characters. I like the the style of it. And of course, I I just absolutely fell in love with the Star Furies. Uh, mm-hmm. Still my favorite ship, maybe Rosinante, but anyway, uh, in in any TV show. Um, and I like the characters. Uh, they changed and you get hints of how they're going to change because, you know, Jakar comes across as a buffoon and a jerk, but you got that one scene where he's talking to Catherine Sakai and he's looking at that ant on that little flower. And he has this insight about it when he's talking about the first ones. And it's just like, okay, that was different. Suddenly I kind of like Jakar. Um, I, I just, I, it, it was a whole new thing for me. So I, that's what I really liked about it the most. Yeah, Andy and I have commented on the fact that at the beginning of the series, Jakar was basically a, a shouty, screamy Klingon. But we've both been very surprised how quickly he changes. That, that changes. More quickly than I remembered. Now, I've got a follow-up for you before I go to Nathan, because you, you made me think of something, and I'll ask Nathan the same thing. One of the things that Andy and I have talked about coming out of watching this season this closely in the last few weeks is that you know in the, in the earlier watches... I think this is fair to say about you too, Andy. In the earlier watches, we were caught up in the arc, in the big story, the big things, of course, right? Going back and, you know, kind of knowing that that's coming, but focusing more on what we're watching at the moment, Andy and I have remarked on how much we've enjoyed the more episodic ones. We've really liked the kind of standalone ones more that that, that later kind of get poo-pooed. That's not part of the arc. That's not, you know, that's not as important. But we've been like going, oh, man, you know, some of these are really good. So what, what do you think about that, about like the individual ones in season one? Well, like I said, I haven't watched the, the first season in quite a while. So I don't remember exactly which ones are completely individual. I mean, all of them have touchstones to what comes later. That's true. Uh, the, the the Holy Grail one's first season, right? Yeah. 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 And so that one's kind of individual, but it touches on stuff mm-hmm. to come. It does. Um, yeah. Of course, you've got you've got probably at my least favorite episode in the whole series, which is TKO. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to just to tie into anything. As a matter of fact, I didn't realize I had actually missed that one completely during the original airings. I didn't see it until I rewatched it with friends 
later, and I went, "Wow, we could have skipped that." Oh wow, a- Andy, um, Andy, what did I yell for three weeks after we watched that one? Mutai. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the I, episodes like, said, like Soul Hunters, and um, uh, there's the one with the healing machine. Although that does, you know, it is right. big, but it's it's kind of a standalone. There's um, Believers, which we kind of dug into a little bit. There's quite a few that that kind of they're not really, you know. There's no Morden, you know. There's no. It's just right. Somebody does something. Ivanova grieves for her dad, you know, or something. And those are those were really powerful. I, I actually believers is the plague episode, right? No, no. Believers is the one oh. where the little boy's going to die, and Franklin wants to give him an operation, and the parents right, right. David the, Gerald, the, yeah. The the avalanche has started. It's too late for the pebbles to vote. Um, was that in? I can't remember if that was in that one. I guess it was. That's yeah, okay. that's the parents pleading with Kosh. Okay. To, to intervene. Yeah, you're um, right. Yeah, good job. Um, yeah, I I like that one though. I when I when I finally got my friends who hated the first couple of episodes, I for, I made them watch it, and that was their least favorite episode of the whole season because it's such a moral dilemma and it seems kind of forced. Yeah. Um. So oh. they didn't enjoy that a lot. Uh. I, what I liked about season one, when I did rewatch it, I had people telling me that if I wanted to get people into Babylon 5, just skip season one, tell them what happened, and go to season two. But I watched season one, and I was like, no. Exactly. There's we talked so about that. There's up in season one that is yes. important. That's absolutely right. <laughs> absolutely. That's one of the big things that, that we've talked about on the show so far, is that you can't. You have to watch season one, and, and you'd be crazy not to. And it's just good. There's just so much good to it. Um all right, Nathan. So, same thing. So, general impressions of the overall season one, and then we can refine it a little bit. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's kind of funny, you know, talking about like memories of the show and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, at least in my area, the th- nice thing was the season one was actually shown at a decent time. So, <laughs> I didn't have to hunt for it. It wasn't until they had that big gap, you know, between um, uh, the one with the, the healing machine, which the name of which escapes me at the moment. You know, but there was a big gap. Yeah, quality of mercy. So there's this big gap in air date order. That's yep. when my local station like moved it to like oh. the middle of like Saturday night, mm-hmm. like 3 a.m. And I didn't know. So I missed the last two episodes of season one first time around because they moved it and I had no idea. You know, so Babylon, I ended with Babylon Squared and then I didn't find it again until like midway through season two. So there was a lot of what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I started watching it. But, um, you know, as far as my memories, I mean, for things that I enjoyed, you know, about the show, um, uh, it, it was different. It was the continuing arc nature of the show. It was giving a level of storytelling that shows didn't have. Although I've never been a fan, a big fan of CGI, I appreciated that they tried to depict realistic physics within the show. And I think the yeah. Star Furies are at their height in season one. Like, Star Furies and the Star Fury combat kind of tapers off as the show goes, and they go for more, like, big combat you know, big ship combat type stuff in later seasons more. Um, but, you know, it was neat to see like a ship pivot while going in a different direction and fire and stuff like that. And I really appreciated the efforts there. And, you know, uh, the fact that the show was obviously laying seeds for future storylines that didn't get paid off within that episode or the next episode or two, like any other show back then was doing like Babylon squared still like blows me away for like just the, 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 uh, conceit, the, 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 just the thing of saying like, I'm going to make sure this show goes long enough that I can pay this off because you never do that. Anytime you're, you're like following the protagonist on a time travel story, 
you know, you're following them from the most future point backwards, right? You don't start with them <laughs> seeing, you know, like it, it, having to have the future come to them yeah. and have no idea what's going on. Like no show did that. That's and true. it's like, again, it's like you could tell seeds are being laid here. And that just really like engaged my brain in a way that like most shows weren't doing at the time. And like we talked about the characters, we're all fascinating. I mean, one of the categories that you have coming up is one about like, you know, best character and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's a really hard question to answer just because there are so many strong contenders. It's true. You know, for that. And 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 again, it was it was more than I was getting from anything else at the time. And I really, you know, I really enjoyed that. It really like got me into this show quickly. I, I noted a couple of weeks ago, by the way, you'll think this is funny because you didn't get to see Chrysalis. I told Andy I didn't get to see Babylon Squared for years because, mm-hmm. and I kept thinking, how did I miss the rerun? And we, we we went and looked it up. There's a on on the Lurkers Guide. It shows the actual rerun dates as well as the air dates, and we saw exactly what you were talking about. What they did was they showed a few episodes and then reran them, and then a few more mm-hmm. and then reran them, and it got down to the second episode of A Voice in the Wilderness, which is like one twenty or one one nineteen. Okay, mm-hmm. and. That, that was the last rerun they showed, and then they showed uh, Babylon Squared once, and, and then um, the, uh, the Quality of Mercy, and then they went three months. Mm-hmm. So they never reran Babylon Squared, and I missed it the first time and didn't have the VCR set, so I didn't get to see it I think, until it was on TNT. Wow. And I, oh, wow. I, I'd always heard, you know, oh, it's the Babylon 4 episode, right? And I, I guess by that point I had seen War Without End. Which, mm-hmm. spoiler, but um, but I didn't know the first half of the story until after I'd seen that one. So that was crazy. Um, so what about the episodic nature of it? I mean, we we talked about you know, is it obviously season one is worth watching? Don't tell people to skip it, even though it does change right. substantially. But I mean, what do you think about the arc nature of the whole series versus like the episodic nature of parts of season one? Because again, Andy and I thought that that was a really that was something we weren't expecting to really enjoy that we both really have enjoyed was having certain standalone episodes we could just kind of get into for that for that hour. I, I was able to cheat a little bit because you asked Bobby first, so I opened up Wikipedia just so I could look at who was <laughs> writing which episodes. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm sure you guys have discussed that there's sort of like the tier nature of season one, right? There's the Straczynski episodes. Oh, yeah. Then there's the Larry Dottilio episodes. And then there's the Everybody Else Everybody episodes, else. right? And, and, you know, the Dottilio episodes, a lot of times are still tied in fairly well with the, with the arc and the season and everything. Cause he was a story editor also. So, you know, but, um, he, uh, but, but, you know, they, they never feel quite as connected. And then there's the standalone ones that might have some tangential connections or none at all to like the sort of bigger stories. And, you know, it's a mixed bag. Um, you know, uh, like we get some good character stuff in them and that's the thing i think for the first season it was important to have episodes that weren't so driven by the arc so that you could take some time and just say who is michael garibaldi you know like oh um we they might have mentioned his drinking problem at some point but they didn't really go into any details i can't remember survivors is the only one that really gets into it yeah yeah. And so, yeah. And then we get into, you know, who is he? Why is he here, you know, in, in this place? And, you know, we kind of get into what was his past like? And, you know, this is why he doesn't drink alcohol. And, you know, kind of what this, you know, we, we get that background. Um, and there's a lot of episodes like that. Um, 
You know, I mean, we get a lot of big spotlight on Dr. Franklin and Believers, which isn't my favorite episode at all. <laughs> but right. I, I like that we get a window into Dr. Franklin's character yeah. in that story. And even um, the one, uh, uh, I lost the title, but it's the one where um, there are the two Centauri that ran off, but they're going to get married. Like, they're very young. And that's a good one for a window into Londo. Um you know, there's that beautiful line about my shoes are too tight that it's okay because I've forgotten how to dance, you know. And and again, that says so much about Londo in just a sentence. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I and I love that. So, yeah, no, I, I would agree. I think that the standalone episodes are important um, because as, as a younger person, I was really so excited about the arc nature of the show. I think that I do tend to favor and have more f- fond memories of the big episodes you know the plot related episodes but certainly they i don't think the show would be as fleshed out and i don't think they would be able to do as much in those arcs in later seasons if we didn't get all the character background that we could like you mentioned the ivanova you know funeral thing which i think informs a lot about ivanova's character later on um you know in her relationship with her father and, and, and everything so i mean yeah i mean there's there's a lot of character hooks that they got you know, uh, in, in with those. Absolutely. Andy, it's your turn. And we've talked about it in more granular detail, but I want you to kind of look back again and kind of, as a kind of a generalist, what about the first season? What's kind of your kind of overall macro thoughts about it like that? Uh, I think that the, the character development, what Nathan was saying, the character development was a lot more in depth than I remember it being. Um, and you and I have talked about, especially Ivanova, yes. uh, how, how she came came out as as like the most powerful the, the strongest character f- for the entire series and that started you know with, with all the groundwork they laid in this particular season um i thought that that surprised me the most um and and the the episodes that everybody you know says to skip that they say are so bad they didn't turn out to be quite so bad I mean, except for tko but even tko <laughs> had its its saving graces you know i mean tko had uh i believe that was the the funeral episode with ivanova and yeah. uh, as bad as tk even even the 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 character uh the the fight the fighter character there were still some interesting character moments between him and and garibaldi the you know watch your back line was you know paid yes. off several episodes later so there there wasn't anything that was completely (laughs) there wasn't anything that was completely skippable in the season and 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 i was one of those people that always said hey uh just skip season one but you know going back and rewatching season one don't skip season one because there is so much character groundwork laid in there that you gotta watch it there you go yeah i mean um the yeah, we, we we talked about how the how the how the even the TKO episode, yeah, it it, it laid out hints for the what's going to happen to Garibaldi. It gave us um, the whole Ivanova thing. We're going to talk about Ivanova more. Um, and fr- I was going to say Franklin got another good episode. Actually, the quality of Mercy ended up being more of a Franklin centric episode than I had remembered because he and June Lockhart kind of had some good interaction. So he had he got to do more in season one probably than any other than any other season to a certain degree. He just be- kind of became a well, we don't, spoiler, he, he does other things in later seasons, but yeah, uh, he's, he's kind of like the doctor dealing with moral dilemmas in season one, and that actually was really cool. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to say, this is quickly, from far as my own self is concerned, yeah, the, definitely the thing that surprised me was that I think maybe I was more patient with the show this time. 
in the past, I'm like, I want more answers. I want more answers. I want more, certainly the first time through, right? The first time through, you're like, oh, get this stuff out of the way. I want to get to more shadow stuff or whatever. You know, I want Morden to come back. I want to see what's going on with Sinclair's brain. And this time I'm kind of like, oh, okay, let's, let's, let's just kind of dig into what Ivanova's dealing with this week. Oh, okay. Let's, let's see what Franklin's all wrought up about this time. And I was much more interested. And this is a funny thing too, is this was the first time that several episode titles, Andy and I have joked about this. There were several episode titles that I've always said, I've always said like 85% of the titles on this, of this show through the whole five seasons, you could name the title. I could tell you what happened, but about 15% of them, if you told me the title, I would be like, I have no idea. Like survivors. I had no idea what that episode was about. And, and now I, I, I enjoyed it. I kind of remember it. Oh, and the other thing I was going to mention, cause you mentioned Larry Dottilio. We've had a love hate relationship on this show with Larry Dottilio <laughs> because he comes, he's, he, you're right. He's kind of the second best writer. He's not bad, but when he leaves the show, we're not going to get any more Jovian sunspots. It's it's always a somethinging something, right? Oh, that's some that's some Betelgeusean brandy. That's a Jovian sunspot. It's like he never just has French fries, you know, or a Coke. It's always like a that's an Antarian vodka, and we're just like, Larry, just stop with the funky name. It's, you. From the, from the way he approaches it, you would think that the Babylon 5 universe was like the size of the Dune universe. Like humans are on 75 different star systems with all these different crops growing and all. And I'm like, that's not the feeling I get from the rest of the show. So, But anyway, I had to throw out, a, I had to throw out my love for Larry Dottilio and love-hate. Um, any other thoughts? Let me go around, because um, we're going to get in the categories here in just a minute. But I want to ask you, um, let me start with, back with Bobby again. Um what about season one? Uh, do you think they could have done better, or you would like to have improved, or maybe just gotten rid of? Anything come to mind? Um, I well, I don't know that they could have improved the stuff that I had the biggest complaints in season one, and that was mostly some filtered acting, hmm. um, and not not just from main characters, but from from you know guest characters and things of that nature. Um, I mean, it's it's a show where Obviously, the actors are trying to get their feel into the characters as it starts out. I can't think of too many science fiction shows, genre shows, where especially ones that are set in a detachment from our current reality where people aren't trying to get a feel for what these people are feeling mm-hmm. and become more than when they're playing them. Um, that's actually my biggest complaint about it is is there are places where what they're saying sounds more like they've read it as opposed to actually emoted it or or that their character's saying it there, there's so. no doubt we we've joked about unemployed soap opera actors in a, in a hot tub factory several times so but you know well, again it, it's it's it they, they did what they could with what they had you know well and it's 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 obviously um some something to do with the experience not only of the actors but of the people making the show because like um the i can't remember his name the actor's name um he's an infection he's the guy who actually gets infected by the 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 thing in his chest and becomes the big walking armored Mm -hmm. tank um but he eventually comes back and plays another character and i love that character yes yes and he did a great job with that character so Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's 
I guess it's just you you have to start realizing that you're not just here for you're not just playing pretend you're actually supposed to be these characters. Yeah. Yeah. And the more that the more that you do it, the more you get into it. Well, so. and that's why we have the Orenzento Ari Benzane Memorial Overacting Award, which we'll be getting into in a little bit. Um, Nathan, any what like what would you change? What would you try to improve? What's your complaint? That kind of thing. Uh, okay, so I've kind of been the Babylon Five evangelist since you know, like the late '90s. You know, I would plop people down and basically be like, "Let's watch this." <laughs> You know, kind of like try to like get all my friends to like watch the show uh, to mixed success. Um, but, um, you know, my wife kind of had to. <laughs> but, um, so, so, I mean, the thing that I find is the biggest hindrance to people watching the show. And it's something that I don't personally understand because I grew up watching movies and shows that are much older than my, you know, lifetime. So I can, you know, take like you know, dated production is the CGI. I, 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 if I could go back, you know, obviously, and that's the big hindrance to getting these on a true high definition format. I know they've done a lot of work with uh, the version they have in HBO max, but it's not like true, like high definition quality is for somebody to go through and redo all those effects and high and all those CGI scenes in high definition is I would love to have that, you know, done um, so that people would just like put that behind them. Yeah. And focus on the story and the characters and all the wonderful, timeless parts of this show and not worry about dated 1990s, you know, CGI. No doubt about it. No doubt. Andy, what would you change or try to improve from this first season, if anything? Uh, you know, I was thinking about that. And at first I thought, like Nathan said, the CGI, because it does look kind of cheesy. Uh, we've made fun of the, the explosions looking like Lego bits falling apart. Um yeah. But when you really think about it, I mean, that's part of the charm of, of the show is, is this, the fact that it is CGI. Yeah, you can tell it's early 90s CGI done on an Amiga, but it, it still has a certain charm to it. I think the one thing, however, that gets me to no end, and, and I know this bothers you too, is the, uh, some of the interior sets, yeah. like the, uh, the council chambers. It, it, I mean, it, it, they just look so cheap. But, and they've shown that they can do a, a grandiose um, uh, set. Yeah. With like just the restaurant, and they don't show the restaurant enough, but they have the the grand, you know, the stars above them, and you can see the interior of the the interior of the uh, space station of the the uh, the turning part of the space station. So they can do these grandiose sets with some limited the limited CGI that they had. Why didn't they do that with the the council chamber? That uh, yeah. that one set needed to be big because it was big, important, had all the aliens involved, and I, I just wish they would have done a little thought a little bit outside the box on that one and done something a little bit bigger yeah no that's that's correct i i I suggested a couple episodes ago that they could have just set the council out in the garden the big open area and have some columns or something to kind of mark off the space and it would have looked so big and impressive instead andy andy nailed it he said it looks like a game show set you know, it does. It looks like they're going to play twenty thousand dollar pyramid or something, and it's very, it's just very disappointing because, like you said, the restaurant looks fantastic. The open air restaurant, it looks beautiful, and then, and then they're having like the greatest powers of the galaxy come together in this little room that's not as big as my basement. So, I mean, yeah. Bobby, did you have a, a follow yep. up or did I miss? Oh no, I y'all, the people were bringing up ninety shows and the CGI and that sort of thing. I found uh, rewatching older shows that a lot of '90s shows, because of the way they were shot, 
mm-hmm. don't age well, especially with higher def definition, uh, definition TVs, because there were a lot of them were done on videotape and things like that. And so they don't upscale well, whereas older stuff, which was done on film, can be upscaled better. And it's it, it's very interesting. I mean, Babylon 5 is particularly egregious because of the horrible way that um, Warner Brothers, you know, handled the film and, and cropped and edited things wrong, you know, especially related to CGI, especially related to CGI mixed into live action. Yeah. So it makes a lot of the live action look really fuzzy when they've got this stuff in there, especially some of those distant scenes. Um that would be nice to correct too, but that's just a, a matter of you know somebody ponying up the money to do it. It would cost so much. They could do it. And, I mean, because it was shot on film, right? It, it was mm-hmm. shot. To well, be. It, it was shot. It was shot. My understanding is it was shot uh, sixteen nine, mm-hmm. and then it was cropped wrong, and then it was cropped wrong again for the DVD release, and so that messed a lot of things up. And the well, CGI was Straczynski, at least. The, the the film parts can actually still be upgraded to high definition and they right. have all that for all the in-person stuff. It's only the CGI because the file masters were lost that right. they can't do any of those scenes and that's why they would have to be completely redone from scratch, yeah. which is a very expensive proposition they did it for the original star trek they yeah. did so, but that's got a much bigger audience and much, well it and, also has a lot less uh, like sci-fi shots you know babylon 5 has a lot of exterior shots a lot more than star trek ever did and and my understanding was they actually lost money even doing it on star trek it didn't make back what they thought it would when they redid the effects so they're never going right. to do it warner is never they're just not so we have what we have and we have to deal with it but uh but still all right, um, let's get into the categories a little bit because we've got several questions. I think it'll be fun to go around the horn. Um, Andy, I want to start with you here because you and I have talked about this all season long. The decision has to be made, sir. Who gets the Orenzento slash... It started out just the Orenzento overacting award after we saw... Um, which one is he? Uh, oh, that was... that was um, By any, any means necessary. Yes, because he was the Psychor guy that was brought on board the station, and he just goes around going, you know, like, this strike will end. This is an illegal strike, and I will invoke the Rush Act on you, you know. And we're just like, oh, gosh. So he, he got the award named after him. And then General, uh, was it Colonel Benzane? Is he General, Colonel? What's his rank? Yes. I can't remember, Colonel. He's yeah, Colonel. He, he shows up and says, Oren, hold my Jovian sunspot. thank you and he proceeds to just be like now listen here mister i'll I'll kill all you around the station and you're just like oh lord so this is a tough decision andy are you gonna go are are we giving the trophy to orenzento are we giving it to ari benzane or do you have a dark horse uh person you're gonna go with you know i I think ari benzane just totally runs away with it i mean (laughs) It, he even his even his scar overacted. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. He would he would glare into the camera and overact just with his eyeballs and his scar. So he, there's no question in my book. He definitely wins this one. I want to get my sharpie out and just draw his. You know what? I'm gonna. I'm not gonna do it on me, but I'm gonna. I have a. Here is uh, for those of you watching the video. Here's Ari Benzane's scar acting. <laughs> No, I wasn't here, mister. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and agree. I think that uh, Colonel Benzane, although, you know, this is the funny thing, is that was always one of my favorite season one episodes. And, and the way I described it was, and I didn't enjoy it as much this time, because there's not a whole lot to it, honestly. But 
what I the way I described to Andy before was very quickly is I thought the show because you know when season one was going on we didn't know the master plan fully yet we were conditioned to how TV shows worked up until 1994. So after several, several, several episodes, my understanding was this is going to be a show about how the clever commander keeps outwitting his bosses back on Earth. So when Ben Zane shows up and like says, I'm here to bring that little plot line to something of an end, I'm like, oh, we're going to go ahead and address it now as opposed to like at the end of season five or whatever, you know, that shocked me. So that one was always one of my favorites, but... He does chew him some scenery. Um, Nathan, do you have anybody you want to? Do you, I'm sure you remember those two guys, or is there a dark horse oh, yeah. you want to throw in? Oh no! See, I wasn't sure if we were going to go with who gets the award that somebody separate from them, or if we're picking <laughs> between them. If we're if we're picking with them between them, and I agree, those are the two most egregious ones. I'm going to go with Oren Zento. Ah, that's, right. that's who I had written down. Okay, uh, Oren Zento. Um, he's uh, God. It's like everything he says is just like. I mean, he's not shouty like Zane, but he's kind of, you know, like like forceful in the way that he puts it forth. But it's it's almost like a subdued but yet forceful. It's like a weird way of like talking. And he's got a lot of run on sentences, too. And it's just kind of like, I don't know what he was doing. I don't know what that character was supposed to be. But it's just, I, I, I find him more annoying than I find Zane. Let's put it that way. Whereas Zane, I think, is kind of. I mean, he is overacting uh, badly, but I don't know. I, I can take him better, I guess. I, yeah, I think it's an interesting point. Oren Zinto, he's basically there to, 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 to say, I'm going to get my way. And then mm-hmm. when Sinclair says, no, we're going to do it my way, Zinto's like, curses, foiled again. And then he goes off and you never see him again. So, <laughs> Bobby, how, how do you go? Do you, do you remember those two guys or is there anybody else you want to throw I, out there? I, I vaguely remember those two things. Um, <laughs> Honestly, if, if given given what I remember of the series, I'm going to pick a dark horse. Uh, okay. I hated Death Walker. Oh, I hated that character so much. Mm. Wow, it was it was just it, she just oozed arch and overplayed villainy. I just I did that character. I didn't really like the episode if it wasn't for the fact that it um, gave us much more in depth look at the League of Non-Aligned Worlds. Yeah, I I probably would rank it right above TKO, to be honest. But um, I think some of it might have to do with Sarah Douglas, though. I didn't, I've never really liked her as an actress either. So, huh. but yeah. Well, okay. Interesting. I like, cause that's always been one of my favorite that's- season one episodes. And, and uh, <laughs> I, talk about that. I, I, I mean, the ending of that episode is so great that they, they even changed the ending of another episode because it was too much like that ending where the, where the Vorlon shows up at the very end and blows him up, and then Kaj is like, you are not ready for immortality, drops the microphone it, and it, shuffles off the stage. Except that, except that the episode poses this whole giant moral dilemma and then goes, deus ex machina. <laughs> True, it does. And it's like, well, come on. That's what the Vorlons um, are, though, in season one, is a giant well, that's, deus ex that, machina. That's true. They're just there to say spooky things at the wrong time to up the atmosphere. Um, <laughs> Inappropriately you know. spooky things. I like it. And I guess guess all that really did is show you that the Earth Alliance government was willing to do anything, including selling out their past supposed allies That's, in order to get higher on the totem pole with the other major yeah. powers. I yeah, think there I, are a lot of important yeah. things in that episode, personally. Oh, yeah. I do, too. I just don't like the character itself. I, I she, just oozed such, she just oozed such villainy that I just... 
I, she was never convincing yeah. to me as someone that anybody would trust. Right. <laughs> well, that's fair. Yeah, and I think it is. It, it, you're right, though, that it was important to show that we were. This is when we were just starting to figure out that the Earth government is not good, and that's right. not something again that we were used to in 1994. The humans are always the good guys. And if there's bad humans, they're a minority faction that you have to deal with by the end of the story. The idea that the whole Earth government was evil and corrupt and ready to work with the bad guys and and kids, it only gets worse. Um, and, oh, my wow. God, that pays off so well. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. But also, don't forget that this is where we find out that there's this difficulty between the religious and warrior cast of the Minbari. That, right. the, you know, the lens embarrassed that the warrior cast, um, you know, like uh, sheltered her to get all her technology and stuff that they could get from her. So, I mean, it's like, it's, it's beginning that too. Well, I think, forgot about that. Yeah. I think we've got, um, three worthy, uh, worthy winners there. I'm just going to leave it at that because I think that, I think that the Colonel won two to two to one to one, but, but I'm, I'm very convinced of the other two arguments as well. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, all right, so let me start with Bobby this time. Who, who would you say was the best character in season one? Now, this is not to say the best character of the whole show, but who who do you suppose did the best with what they had to work with in this season? Well, I came out of the season, probably Garibaldi was my favorite character. Okay. Um, I I liked his attitude. I, I, I came out more understanding him than I did anybody else because everybody else had something really unusual going on with them and he's more of the detective type in the show and so it just it just kind of appealed to me in a lot of ways so there you go very good nathan who is your uh who, who would you say was the best season one character this was such a struggle for me because I had like three different answers wow. and it was kind of hard for me to pull in fact bobby took garibaldi which was one of the ones I'm gonna go with jakar um, and it's not because, again, there are so many characters that I could say, but I think that a lot of the characters take a little bit longer to bake, whereas I think that Jakar, we kind of got the very multifaceted Jakar right in the beginning. We got, you know, all the aspects of him. We got everything from this is like a hardcore warrior to mm. this is a philosopher to this is a guy that's just likes having a good time he's a bit of a hedonist you know and strippers in his bedroom (laughs) and and you know it's weird when you're first watching it it's a little it feels a little disjointed because it feels like you're swinging so wildly on jakar and it takes a while i think for it to sort of you get where all those facets like sort of come together Mm -hmm. but i think that we get there you know by the end of the season and i think that jakar just because there's so much range to what's going on with Shakar and what his character is bringing to the table, um, and and I think that you know Jakar uh, is just great, like just from season one onwards, and and I oh, think yeah. he's he's pretty much hit that best self already. Yeah, and and let me mention by the way uh, when we talk about Garibaldi, I was, I was going to say this earlier. You know, one of the things that really surprised me about Garibaldi's arc that I would totally forgotten was how early we meet Lee Hampton. I mm. thought if you told me she shows up for the first time late season three, I'd have been like, oh, okay. She's in like multiple season one episodes. I'm like, man, she, Garibaldi had the least thing going on for a long time. That really shocked me. But uh, two very good answers so far. Andy, which way are you going to go? You know, I was able to narrow it down to a top five. Um, <laughs> I hear you, man. I, I, <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to pick one, and I'm going to have to go with uh, Commander Sinclair because mm-hmm. he's the one that I think developed the most. 
Yeah. And I think he's the one that had the, the nicer, uh, quiet moments, uh, the, the, the more personal moments that, that uh, you and I really enjoyed. So, and he also carried a lot of the, a lot of the story arc on his shoulders. And, and a lot of people you know, rag on, on the actor for being so stiff and, and game show hosty, but I think that he was very subtle in a lot of his, his uh, moments as well. So I'm going to give it to him. It, it was a tough choice, though. I, in fact, I just finalized my choice just about 38 seconds ago. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, I, I think I have to go with, with uh, Sinclair. Yeah, I, I think that you and I have talked a lot this season about how much he has impressed us because the first time through, I didn't like him at all. The first when it, when it was airing originally, I didn't like him. And I was so happy with certain changes that will come later. Um, but going back and watching him now, and, and, and there, he does a much better job than I gave him credit for at the time, and I'm much better able to appreciate him now, just like the standalone episode I'm better appreciate now. I was I was very um, very taken with a lot of what he did, and it's too bad that it didn't work out so well for him health wise as well as you know on the show. But I agree, and um, and I thought particularly in Chrysalis, he really does a great job there because he kind of has to go from being the commander to being like in the romantic deal with with Catherine, where he's proposing and they're having their engagement party, you know, with Garibaldi and Susan. And then he has to, he's like all worn out and he's got the, the growth of beard and he has to go find out what's going on with Delenn and Kosh is lurking in the background saying enigmatic things at him. He he has to cover a lot of ground in that last episode and I thought he did a really good job with it. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm with that. I guess for me though, I got to go back to the very beginning. When this show first came on, the the two characters that grabbed me the most from the very beginning were Kosh and Talia Winters. And I know that neither one of them is big, you know, like at the top of the list of people's favorite characters, but I loved Kosh for reasons that I think are obvious, right? And and I really liked Talia, Talia, Talia because I, ha- I didn't like Lita Alexander as much in the pilot. I came to like her later when she shows up later. But but Talia was just very always very interesting to me because she combined a lot of vulnerability with a lot of strength, and she could kind of bounce between the two. And it was interesting to see her relationship with Garibaldi evolve. Um, it was interesting to see her re- her relationship, for example, with, Jay- with Ironheart, uh, with others. I really liked her. But um, I think that probably the character I think was the best season one character hasn't been mentioned yet. And we're going to get to them in the next category. So I'm going I'm to I'm I'm go ahead and go with Talia with Kosh right below her as my favorite season one character. But I've got something else to say about that. So I'm going to just segue myself, if you guys don't mind. Most surprising season one character. And I think Andy's going to join me in, a, in an alley-oop dunk on this. Susan Ivanova. We knew going into this rewatch that she was great. We knew that she has quotes on all these t-shirts, right? Everything she says ends up on a t-shirt. We talked about this all season. We, Andy and I were both shocked how many of her quotable lines are all in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that he and I have talked about all season is how much she really was the glue that held the show together way more than we, we realized. If there was an A plot that was serious, Ivanova had the funny plot. And if there was an A plot that was funny, Ivanova had the serious plot. And she was the counterpoint to almost everything and involved in the A-plot and did an amazing job. And if you go back and watch Laurel Takashima, bless her heart, okay? I, I, I love Tamlin Tamita in the right roles, but she was awful in The Gathering, okay? 
If you compare her to what Claudia Christian does as Ivanova, it is astonishing how much better that role, more or less, on the show is improved. And so I think that by far the most surprising season one character for me was Ivanova. Andy, are you in agreement with me or you have somebody that's going to surprise me? I was going to say Jinxo, but, you know, um, (laughs) (laughs) dang it, I was taking a drink, man. (laughs) Jinxo. Jinxo, man. No, I son of a, (laughs) I, I, I totally agree. And you covered it very well. I I think, uh, and and I think I used the line that she is the the Captain America of the Babylon five crew. She is the moral, uh, fabric that holds the entire, that, that knits the whole group together. So yeah, I'm going to go with Susan Ivanova as well. And and I always knew she was awesome, but I, I remember her being awesome for her, her, uh, her, her, uh, um, tough, tough girl moments, you know, the listen to Ivanova, Ivanova's Vazari is right. And, and those type of lines, but really, she she has more you know soft personal moments than than even Sinclair. So, yeah, she she really does, and and she she remains strong in her character and her morals the entire not just the season but the whole series. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt for me. I think it's a slam dunk. Nathan, what do you think? Most surprising character for you? Survey says Ivanova. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, and, and to add to what's already been said, I mean, like, two of my strongest memories of Ivanova, we've already touched on, um, you know, talking about her father and how, you know, she has a hard time sort of reconciling, you know, how distant he was and, and sort of the difficulty she had with her grief. At, at losing her father, but also the conversation where she talks about going on the sleepers and, mm-hmm. you know, her mother leading to her mother's suicide and all of that, where you have these quiet moments. So, you know, there it wasn't rare necessarily to have the quote unquote strong female character, you know, that was very aggressive and forthright. There might've been another show on at the time that might've copied <laughs> Babylon five that did the same mm-hmm. thing with their first officer. But that was the fact that she had the range of going from that to going to these really like, you know, uh, um, quiet moments, these moments of true sadness, you know, and, and just like, you know, where you see her feelings, you see her heart, you know, in addition to those like really fun moments where she can be this really aggressive, you know, Vonova is God, you know, Babylon five mantra, you know, all that stuff. So, um, you know, uh, I liked that range. And so, yeah, I mean, I think she was the surprise of the show yeah. was just how how nuanced she was. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I um, uh, and, and, and as what you're referring to there, remember, Nathan, this isn't some deep space franchise. This station is about something. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great line. I don't think we've actually gotten that line yet. So that was a spoiler. I apologize. But it was a joke. So, uh, Bobby, I'm really curious if you're going to go with the crowd one of us, or you have another idea. So Ivanova, as I remember watching it when it first aired, it took a while for Ivanova to grow on me. Sure. And I liked her, but I would have never said she was my favorite character. But when I rewatched the whole thing back to back to back to back to back, I was like, oh my God, Ivanova's great. Yep. And I didn't remember, like you said, I didn't remember just how much she had kept the the story together all the way through the first season and how much of her good moments are right there at the beginning. That's right. Um, 
So yeah, I'm not going to disagree with this crowd. So <laughs> I'm going to pick up Ivanova. Wow, it's a sweep for Ivanova, Claudia Christian. All right, very very cool. Um, we have let's see. My next category up here is favorite guest star, and um, I don't know if everybody's going to remember all of them. Andy and I have been tracking them and, and listing them, but we'll see what we can come up with if you can describe them if you don't remember. So, um, Andy, where are you going to go with um, favorite guest star for season one? And there's quite a few. Uh, I'm going to say uh, th- there are quite a few. I, I wanted to say June Lockhart because I thought it was, you know, having grown up on Lost in Space, I thought it was awesome to see her again. Uh, but really, it's got to go to, to uh, Alfred Bester. I mean, he, just such a great character. And he played, the, the actor played it totally against expectations of, you know, of, of his Star Trek character. Um, I, I and I thought he was only there a couple episodes, and I thought he did a, a slam dunk job both episodes. He really was. And he's. It, it, we've talked about how it really was just kind of a twist of fate that we ended up having him as Bester because he was supposed to play a one and done in uh, The Sky Full of Stars, but he'd had a heart attack. And because he couldn't, he couldn't do it because of the heart attack, and he ends up, and JMS is like, well, I got another part you can do later. And it really worked out. I, you know, you'd rather be Bester than that one dude that gets his brain fried. So, uh, Nathan, who was your favorite guest star of season one? So this was another hard one um, because you know I, I love David Warner, but I don't think oh. that this he's the best character. But he's, just because yeah. I just love David Warner, I you know thought about Bester and I thought about Nayrun, but I think they both attain more of like their perfect selves later on, and I don't think their season one you know showings are as good as what they bring later on. So that narrowed me down to two. And because I expect the other one's going to be taken, I'm going to go with the, one, the other one, which is going to be funny because I'm going to say Sarah Douglas as Death ah! <laughs> Death Walker. <laughs> J'adore. Yeah, J'adore. <laughs> yeah, um, I think she's terrifying. I think that, and, and to the point of nobody's going to trust her, I mean... Sure, but you know, if she's they don't care if they test out this stuff on people and, and it doesn't turn out to be true, like Earth Force doesn't care, you know, care so they're going to take this one. So I don't think that that's really a problem. She comes across as a true sadist. I mean, she comes yeah. across as, you know, like just a chilling person. That speech that she gives about why she wants to give away immortality and what it's going to do to the galaxy and her legacy that that will leave behind oh, yeah. is terrifying and it's delivered really well. And so, yeah, I think that she's a, a great guest star and um, you know, she was, she it was a good performance. That was this, the, 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 the single most affecting part of that episode, other than the Vorlon showing up and blowing the hell out of everything was, <laughs> was when she said something like, what, what was the word? Something us, you will become us. And that was like, mm. Oh, you know, so yeah, that was that. I, I agree. That was that was pretty strong. Bobby, uh, who you like is in terms of guest stars in that first ep- first season? William Morgan Shepard's voice as the soul hunter. <laughs> it's good. No, that, it's, I, I I've like always it. loved his voice. Yeah. Um, he comes gonna, back as an Arn later. Uh, does he? Mm-hmm. When does okay? I, I, um, in season two, he's an Arn. Okay, I'd forgotten that too. Um, well, I'm I'm going to go with Bester because he's the for me the most memorable. Uh, non-regular character that appeared in season one. So um, I enjoyed that episode a lot. I liked seeing, uh, uh, seeing him chew scenery and, you know, be a villain for once. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
All right, and I've got two I've got to pick between, and I almost I almost went with Ed Wasser just because I love Morden, because Andy and I have decided that he is, he is, um, uh, crap, uh, he is evil Rod Serling. Twilight Zone. Yes. Oh, he is yeah. evil Rod Serling. He takes the show into the Twilight Zone every time he shows up, and you're like, oh, Lord. The way he stands, the way he talks, everything. I love mm-hmm. Mr. Morden, and I love him in, in, in season one. But there's an, I just realized that there, I just wasn't even thinking of this person in terms of being like a guest star because they're almost regular cats. Kind of like you're saying, they're, they're semi-regular. But I think my favorite, my favorite guest star in season one is um, Julia Nixon as Catherine Sakai because she mm-hmm. shows up about four times, and she makes Michael O'Hare better when she's in scenes with him. She makes him a better actor, and she makes Sinclair a more likable character when he can... He, it's, it's like when she's in a scene with him, you can just see O'Hare kind of relax one step. You know, he like he, he's instead of being stiff, he's kind of like, oh, Catherine, you know, and well, it's just she, like, oh. She gave him somebody to play off of in a personal fashion as yeah. opposed to a commanding officer fashion. Yeah, and I love but. Julia Nixon in general. I think she's great in everything. I love her in Noble House. Um, and talked to her at Dragon, Ta- Dragon Con t- one time. I'm like, I love you and everything you've ever done. You're awesome. Uh, but um, it, it's but, unfortunate yeah. that they couldn't find a place for her after Sinclair left because it seems like just as the wandering trader or whatever, they could have still had her appear. It's true. You know, a few times. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's very true because I really did like her a lot. Um, let's see. Well, we're down to our last four big ones. I I put this one first of these four. Because we got another big one at the end that's going to be interesting. So let's go ahead and say favorite episode. Um, and I'll start back up with Andy again. What would you say ended up being your favorite episode? And I know this is tough, right? Because we've really enjoyed so many of them. I know it's the Mutai, right? <laughs> Smith, Smith, Smith. Uh-oh, have we lost Andy? <laughs> there you are. You know, I, I waffled between two of them. I waffled between... Uh, <laughs> I waffled between Chrysalis and such a great episode, uh, but I really – and for the reasons I brought up during our, our earlier uh, episode, uh, it, uh, Babylon Squared, it just reminded me of yesterday's, yesterday's Enterprise, which is one of my favorite sci-fi television episodes of all time. So I'm going to go with Babylon Squared as my favorite for season one. Interesting. And we talk, we just talked like a week or two about how – I actually was disappointed by Babylon Square that it wasn't it didn't hold up for me as well as I thought it would. So that's interesting that it didn't up being your favorite. But no, it certainly is one that's thought provoking and, and, and I mean Zathras, you know. What can you say beyond Zathras, right? Right. Um, okay, so we got a Babylon Squared <laughs> vote. Uh, Nathan, what did you? What ended up being your favorite episode of the season? Well, I mean, if I was going to go with my with my, I mean, again, it was a top three kind of thing, and Babylon Squared was at the top of my top three. But I won't say that because Andy's already said it. Uh, I'm going to go with Signs and Portents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Be- because that's. That's, I mean, we talk about the arc and we talk about like heavy episodes and that's like the heavy besides Chrysalis in this season. It's like those two are like the huge gravitational masses that all the episodes sort of spin around. And, you know, there was so much going on in that episode. It's not only like 
you know, uh, laying seeds for future episodes with the whole idea of, you know, you know, there's a prophecy, you know, like this place will fall and all that kind of stuff, which is kind of a, it's kind of a cheat with the way the art kind of changed, but kind of not also because JMS is so clever with how he does these things. But also there's the introduction of Morden. There's the first time you see a shadow vessel and you're like, what did I just see? What is that? Like, it looks so like, you know, I'm like I said, I'm not a fan of CGI. I never have been. But the shadows are one of the places where I think the CGI works well because you're able to create something that you could not create. Yeah. uh, Like a model for just because the texture and everything looks so weird. You know, it's like, I don't know what that is, but it's terrifying. And it is it is psychologically calculated in, in its shape and the way that colors move on it and everything to just be like disgusting to you. Yeah. And that was that was great. And then just the idea of whatever these things are, because, you know, they're connected to Morden. Somehow they're able to hurt Kosh. Mm-hmm. And after Kosh and the Vorlons have been held up as the deus ex machina and like the all powerful race, you're like something really bad is coming and again it's just laying those seeds and 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 just getting you into the story and then we start londo's sort of descent also in that story too which um you know so yeah i mean there's so much going on that i really love that story andy and i have discussed how some of the cgi ships look better some look worse but what they did with the vorlons and the shadows was like you said they took advantage of the medium that they had to Mm -hmm. do interesting things they're like if we're stuck with Amiga video toaster CGI, let's do something that only that can do. And it was very effective, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. Bobby, what do you, what is your thought about your, I, uh, about the fake one? I, I'm just amused at the stuck with uh, um, uh, video toaster CGI. At the time, that was pretty cutting edge. I know. Um, <laughs> it um, was. It was. So, I, I liked Babylon Squared. I'm not really always a big fan of, of time travel stories, but Babylon Squared gets better looking backwards later yeah, than it was when I watched it at the time. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not above picking one. Somebody else picked mine is signs importance because that was when the whole season went. And now we're going a different direction that you probably didn't expect. Right. Something sinister just happened in a way that hadn't happened before. And it, it was like completely unexpected. Um, I, I didn't, I, you know, Morden walks in and he's like an emissary of the devil, yeah. you know, walking in and offering people bargains. And it's like, what is going on? <laughs> and like you, the shadow ship appears and is like, what the heck is that? <laughs> so um, that's that's when I really got excited about the series. Before then, it was it was I'm enjoying it. And it's an alternative to to Star Trek, which I am disillusioned with. But then it suddenly became no. This is this is itself. I th- I like it now because of what it is, not what it's not. Yeah. Suddenly the space UN show like became like <laughs> a, a series about something, you right. know. And it was yeah. like whoa, you know. I thought it was just space UN, you know. Exactly. Well, that we talked about how what you think is going to be the entire series ends up being just part of the introduction, and then things change. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. It's still this day, it's still amazing to me. Um, okay. I got two that, that nobody is at, that, that have been, well, at least one's been mentioned, but nobody's voted for. Um, and I got one that nobody's mentioned. My episode where I had that turning point where I went from, oh, it's an episodic Star Trek type thing to, hey, this is interesting, was Parliament of Dreams. I, that's a very early episode, but there you go. But we had a really good review of it. 
and enjoyed it. And the thing about it wasn't just the Parliament of Dreams, the Centauri party and all that, which we actually did as a LARP at DragonCon one year, but also all that's the first episode where Jakar and Talon, uh, and Natoth get to do a lot of stuff. And you're like, oh, they're a lot more interesting than I thought. And I'll, I'm never, I'm, I mean, I always, one of my all-time favorite lines on the show is like, uh, you will know fear, and you will know, die, and you will know pain, and you will die. Have a nice flight. <laughs> Shove him out the door. I just, I love that. I was on the floor, but that was probably runner-up. I think that Chrysalis to me ended up the one that held up the best, just because so much happens in every plot. You've got the Delin plot with the Grey Council and the Triluminary. You've got the. Um, the president being assassinated, which you're like, wait, what? They actually did it? You know, you've got uh, Kosh is showing up and trying to tell Sinclair stuff. You got Sinclair going to get married. Um, you've got Garibaldi gets betrayed by his uh, assistant Jack and gets shot. And um, and honestly, Andy, you and I didn't talk about this last week. We only talked for like two hours about it, so I don't know how we didn't. But <laughs> but um. The the guy that I thought did a really good job as a villain in that episode was that um, he had a French name like Duquesne or Dufresne or something, but he was the guy that that Garibaldi was kind of following around trying to catch, and then Jack shot Garibaldi before Garibaldi could arrest him the second time. Yes, that guy yes. was he was nasty man. Yeah, and he and part of that was because he didn't overact like I am the villain of the week. He Thank came across you. as menacing yes. and competent. Where yes. I don't want to mess with this guy. I thought I thought he did yes. a fantastic job. Yeah, he he's the one that was just kind of like, "This is too big for you, little man," or something like that. And you're just like, "Oh, you know," he thinks he's he's very dismissive of Garibaldi. Usually, everybody's like, "Oh, it's Garibaldi. I got to be somewhere else." And that guy's just like, you know, Garibaldi. <laughs> You're nothing. So that was, I thought he was very effective. All right, so we've got we've got several different ones. That's cool though. That means there wasn't just one slam dunk, and that's interesting. Now we're gonna do it the other way around. Um, and I'm you know I'm gonna kind of start with Andy um, because I want to have lots of, of these thrown out before we get all the way back around the horn, and so Bobby and I can cheat. Um, <laughs> least favorite episode, and I'm curious to hear your you guys uh, justifications and rationalizations for this too. Which one held up the least, Andy? My, my least favorite was TKO. Uh, yeah. e, e, and e, even saying that, I still enjoyed you know the B plot. So I enjoyed a good portion of that one. Yeah. But the A plot was just so bad. I just I, I, I yeah it, I, I I can't even rewatch it again probably. Um, so yeah, not, that's my least favorite. I'm not even gonna say it. I, I'm done saying it. I'll, I won't say it anymore. I'm not going to say it anymore. Um, <laughs> You're letting no. me down, Van. <laughs> I, I think you may not be the only person that picks that one. Nathan, which was the which was the weakest episode of season one? For me, it's no contest, and it's not TKO. It's Believers. Mm. I am, Wow. Yeah, I, I, I am not a, a big fan of it. I feel like... I feel like they're a little too... I don't know, trite on the moral issue that's, you know, that's that's the the center of that story. And the B plot with Ivanova and the Raiders and all of that, like, is not very exciting and very engaging. I mean, it's a good episode because it gives Dr. Franklin some stuff to do. So for that standpoint and and you know, getting a little insight into his character, I mean that's that's good. But we have other character there. We have other episodes that do that in the season, and I just kind of feel like 
I don't know. I, I feel like uh, I don't feel like they they really handled that episode well. No, I I have something to say about that too. Uh, that's the that's the David Gerald episode. That's the uh, Trouble with Tribbles <laughs> for B five, and it's a whole. We talked about some interesting backstory on that one, but I'm not going to get into the half-assed internet research that we do right now. Um, Bobby, what was your least or weakest or least favorite episode from season one? Well, it's TKO, obviously. There we go. Um, but but when I when I did the rewatch, so I didn't remember having any problems with Believers the first time I watched it, mostly because it's got one of my favorite Kosh lines in it, mm. and it it made me. So after that episode, I'm like, I don't think I like Dr. Franklin. He is willing to put himself and his own opinions and judgments above anybody else. And he does this more than once. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was kind of neat that he had this complexity to a character. you got a guy who's a doctor, but I'm not really sure I, I like this guy. I, I know I probably wouldn't be friends with him because he's kind of arrogant. Um, but the second time I watched it, it was actually kind of cringy. Um, and I, I don't know if that was just a decade's worth of change in me that made me look at that and go, wow, that's really very shallow. And I, I didn't like how on the nose everybody's responses were to this situation. Um, it, it felt a little, um, it felt a little like it was manipulating the audience rather than telling a story. Yeah, that's fair. So, and that's one of the reasons I didn't like it, but I still think I would, I'd rather watch it again than TKO. <laughs> What a shot at TKO. What a shot at TKO. I mean, at least TK, TKO is like an action thing, right? I mean, so to me, it's like it's not as bad. I've never oh, been God. big. The action was horrible. But it has the neon lights, man. They got the neon in that black room. Is that the one with the Zima ads? I think it is, actually. <laughs> I always smile when I see the Zima ads around the Zocalo. Hey, that... That's um, that's not as bad. Is it? Is it? Is it? Um, Parliament of Dreams. Is that the? Wait, no, it is it. It's the one where Londo's got his girlfriend on the ship. That's mm. that's the first season, isn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, that's first season. Yes, where he oh, gives the, her the the star laces and it's mm-hmm. it's it's fishing worms on the ends of little things, and I'm like, oh my god, why? Yeah. Why would you do that? Yeah, we talked about some of that. That's the that's I believe in Born of the Purple. Okay. Um, yeah, that which was actually another one of those standalone episodes that, that Andy and I actually kind of liked. Um, oh, I liked the episode. I just hated that. Right. No, I, I agree. <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to re relitigate the the 45 minutes I probably did on Believers when we when we covered it earlier this season. But I will say really quickly a couple of things just so you guys will know where I'm coming from. I hated it first because I'd been telling all my friends what a great show this was when it first began airing. And I had just seen Parliament of Dreams. I'm like, oh, man, this show is awesome. And so a bunch of my guy friends came over to my apartment in Auburn, and we all sat down to watch the latest episode, and it was Believers. And an hour later, they all said I was an idiot, and they left. And I'm like, but this isn't how it normally is. This was totally different. I don't, oh, God. So I hated it. Then I said in my second or third rewatch years and years ago, I said, all right, I'm letting my... Um, experiences as a viewer affect the episode. So I said, I'm going to watch it for what it is and not have my my you know reactions colored by that. And so for a couple of you know watch cycles, I'm like, oh, it's not so bad. It's asking good moral dilemma questions and stuff. Okay. And then when we, <laughs> when we watched it this time, I'm like, 
No, nah, I was right the first time. This is terrible. <laughs> I was so I was right the first time. And the the, the example I gave is that um, is that the gov- the government should just step in and take the kids away from the parents because the parents were abusing the child. Uh, and and if they do it for abuse, certainly they do it for killing the child. So and and Andy rightfully pointed out a few technicalities legalistic about that because it's not the, just not one country and all that. Even still, I think any of those governments would have been justified in saying, if you're going to let your child die, we have to take the child away from you. I'm sorry. You, they, your parental rights only go so far. And that's, that's where I've come down. And again, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, okay, so we got two more to go. And this one's interesting, too, because I'm, I'm, I'm curious if this is going to be how different this is going to be from what we've already said. So let's just keep the ball rolling here. Episode that surprised you the most this time. And we've kind of touched on this a little bit as we've gone along. It could be in a good way or a bad way. But, Andy, what episode you kind of went, huh? That would be Grail. Um, I Ooh. really, I, I thought, yeah, I, I thought that this one wouldn't hold up. I always thought, yeah, that's the silly Holy Grail quest one. But watching it, it, it it made a lot more sense. It wasn't so much what he was looking for as the fact that he was looking for something yeah. um, that impressed Delenn and Lanier so much. So, and the hit that the the uh, the Seeker's arc was really impressive. It was really good. I thought the uh, the CGI for the uh, the mind wipe creature really held up and w- wasn't bad. And it was the first their you know their first uh, other except for Nagrath. It was their first real alien uh, antagonist on the show. Um, oh, even Jinxo uh, wasn't that bad. I, I, I kind of liked the, the poor guy. <laughs> Freaking Jinxo, man. It had David Warner in it, therefore it is amazing. That's true. He is the space yes. pope. In my universe, he is the space pope. He's in every science fiction franchise there's ever been, even Time Bandits, and he is awesome, mm-hmm. and he is the greatest, and he rules. Um, Nathan, what was your uh, one that surprised you the most this time? Um, I think I'm going to go with the War Prayer. Um, and, and it's one that I kind of remember as just like, okay, yeah, we're dealing with the racism against aliens kind of thing. And there are some things that are kind of like, like when Sinclair's playing, like, I'm going to pretend I'm one of the bad guys. He does it a little too hard, but I think, I think the thing that I tend to forget about this episode, um, that on my latest or my last rewatch kind of came to the forefront was what this sets up for Londo. And about how, you know, we start off with Londo as his normal, very conservative, very authoritarian self. And then we sort of get this idea of Londo is that way because he he had all his choices taken away from him. He's had to live this life. And if he had to, why shouldn't other people? And it's then we also set up the Veer dynamic where Veer's compassion and conscience start you know, rubbing off on Londo also and where Londo gets to the point where he's just like, you know what? Maybe other people should have it better than I have it. And now, of course, he's only thinking purely about Centauri and he <laughs> doesn't feel that way about like other species or anything. But we get into that idea of Londo sort of just being trapped and the pain that Londo's in. And I still think that I quote that line all the time. My shoes are too tight and I forgotten how to dance. I mean, because it's such a great line. So, um, you know, it's uh, I, I think that for what it does for Londo, I think that that's, it's kind of a surprise for an episode. That's one of those standalone type ones. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's interesting because that was one of the three or four in this season. And again, if you had told me the title, I'd be like, I have no idea what happens in this episode. Mm hmm. 
but because uh, the title just doesn't associate automatically for me. But yeah, that one in like Legacies and Survivors, I'm just like would be like clueless. But yeah, no, I thought it was good. Uh, Bobby, which uh, which ones which which one do you think is the most surprising? Wow, I haven't like I said, I haven't watched this in ten years. I can't remember my emotional state on most of these things. So I'm gonna say TKO. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I have a good answer or justification for an answer okay. on that one. So. Sounds good. Um, you know, for me, this is really strange because the ones that I thought I was going to really like, with the exception of Signs and Portents and Chrysalis, I didn't like as much. Like A Voice in the Wilderness 1 and 2, Annie and I talked about how it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, plot but there's not much conflict in it nothing really happens hardly so that was kind of disappointing and babylon squared i was going in expecting it to be really good but it ended up being most of it is just like them in the warehouse area of babylon 4 running around with lights flashing and stuff falling down you know it's got zathras again that 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 goes a long way honestly i think the episode that that surprised me the most when i really think about it is the one that I kept being told was horrible. I was told that JMS hated it and wished they could just lose the the original recording of it. I was told that it's the weakest episode of the entire series, this, that, and the other. And I keep watching it, and every time I watch it, I like it. And I'm like, I just like it. And that's Infection. Mm. I thought Infection was cool. And you know, I think part of it is it reminds me of a Crusade episode, not a specific one. But it, there's a lot of crusade in infection. You got the IPX mm-hmm. guy, you got the strange deserted alien planet, the biotech and all that. And we talked about how there's actually some foreshadowing for like the shadows in it and for a lot of stuff. So um, yeah, I think infection surprised me. It's I, I didn't I don't think I gave it like a four out of five or anything, but you know, people give it like a zero. And I thought it was a good two point five, three. It was okay, you know. So that would be my I pick. Don't- I don't remember hating it or anything. I think the I think most people were just like, wait, is this going to turn into the monster of the week? At, you know, TV show. Right. I guess watching it now and knowing that it doesn't, it's just a fun kind of actiony. It's almost like a mm-hmm. Space 1999 episode or something where there's a monster running around Moonbase Alpha and they're all trying to. Wait, I said you thought you said fun and actiony. <laughs> Oh, there are many episodes of Babylon 5, though, that are not as good as in fact. Like, I, I, I'll yeah. agree with you, Van. I, I, I find it strange that anyone says it's the worst out of all Babylon 5. There are several in season hear. one that I don't think are as good. That's what you hear. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, we are to the last question before we wrap things up for tonight. So I'm going to go back up to Andy one last time. I guess we can go around one more time if we have any final thoughts. But Andy, we always end every episode analysis with who won the episode. I'm asking who won season one? Who won this season? I, I was originally going to say Commander Sinclair uh, just because of, of how much he, the character, developed throughout the season. But actually, I, I changed my mind at the last minute. I have to go with Londo Malari because hmm. where he started out as the buffoon, the clown, the the worthless guy who wasn't going to amount to anything. He was he was just there to waste time. To at the end of the season, he has his hands on on the greatest power in the in the galaxy, and he's able to obtain everything that he wants just by asking. Um, that's that's a hugely dramatic uh, change for his character, and it put him in a in, well, at least for right now, a very positive and, and upward momentum place. Wow. Yeah, for now being the key word, right? Yeah. <laughs> for now, okay, right? So, but we're not spoiling anything. No. So. All right, so we've got a vote for Lando. Very interesting, Nathan. Who is the um, who won season one? 
Well, you know, they say you got to leave them wanting more. And I think this is the only season where we can say that the shadows won the season. <laughs> oh, interesting. Because, Ooh. frankly, I like it. You know, even though they only show up, I think, twice, you know, in, in mm-hmm. Signs and Portents and Chrysalis, they, through Morden, dominate your attention through their slight appearances with the ships and then getting them actually physically materializing at the end of the episode, you know, you know, something is happening. You know, something really important is happening. You know enough to be terrified, but you don't have all the answers yet. And as far as like a cliffhanger, I mean, that's one of like the best all time cliffhangers of any series. I think is just the fact that all the groundwork's been laid and you don't know enough yet. To, to know anything other than that, you should be scared. And I think that that's great. And I wish I'd seen it the first time around. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's but, right. Uh, but in my rewatch, I'm always like, man, this is this is such a good way to end things. And so, yeah, I think I think the shadows really won the season. Very interesting. Very interesting perspective. I like it. I like it. See, this is why Andy and I wanted to get you guys on. We figured you have some different perspectives, and it would be very interesting. And it is. Bobby, who won season one for you? Okay, this might be a cop-out answer, but it's going to be the viewers who stuck with the series all the yep. way through hunting yep. and finding the episodes to get rewarded with season two, because that's legit. This is yeah. absolutely the best sci-fi series I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. I come back to it. I remember more about it, wow. it than I do anything. Except maybe the original series of Star Trek, just because I watch it so much, mm-hmm. but there's so much about storytelling and what happens in this and characters that have stuck with me ever since then. Um, so yeah, I, I think everybody who was looking for this show and hunting and finding it, wherever it came on, they're the ones who won the season. So that's fair enough. There was me recording it at three or 4 AM in Atlanta, taking the VHS tape, driving to my seven o'clock class. I taught in Atlanta in, in Conyers. And when students were at lunch, I would slap the tape in the rolling cart VCR and, They'd come back in every time with about we, 10 we, minutes to go. And I'm like, you all sit down and shut up because we're not doing anything for 10 minutes. We, we would watch it and come into work the next day because a whole bunch of people where I worked were into it. And we go, did you see it last night? Can we talk about it yet? <laughs> yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Awesome. So. Awesome. Yeah. Um, those are all really good answers. Um, I, I thought about Londo and I thought about Ivanova, honestly. And I'm really... I was really close to saying Ivanova because she's kind of a, a secret sneak winner. Um, but I think that maybe Jakar won season one because I think he changed even more than Londo. I think that at the beginning of the gathering, he's like, I am the big belligerent war Klingon guy and I'm blah, blah. And then it's so quick that he still keeps that. He doesn't completely lose it. He keeps that edge. He's still rough and tough, and he's still getting in shouting matches with more. In fact, I, we didn't mention this, Andy, but in, in you know one of the opening scenes in the in the cold open of Chrysalis is him and Londo yelling at each other in the council chambers. And JMS said, "I put that in to say here's where we were after the credits. Here's where we're going. You know, and it's true. That's you know we Jakar keeps that hostile. I'm a tough guy edge." But we're already seeing all those different layers to him that, that you guys have rightfully mentioned already. 
every again everything from being the philosopher to having the strippers come out of his bedroom, which still cracks me up every single time. So there's just so much to him. There's so much, and I love the idea that future generations will look back at Jakar and think of him as like Muhammad, you know, or something. This mm-hmm. perfect prophet, and yet we know him as a real person, quote unquote, who has three strippers in his bedroom and you know hides behind a little bush and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I'm. I he's never been my favorite character, but I think he may be the one I respect the most. Certainly, Andreas Katzlis playing him. So, um, all right. Any, let me go around the horn real quick. Andy, any final thoughts about season one before we lay it to rest? And we'll, you and I, will be back in a couple of weeks for season two. Yes, we will. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, the The only thing I want to say is, man, season one was so much better than I remembered it, and mm-hmm. it, you got to watch it. I mean, if 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 anybody tells you to skip season one. Don't do it because there are some really good moments, and uh, it, it if you can get past the, the the cheesy you know CGI and the the bad sets and the, the newspapers popping up now and then, <laughs> it, it, it really is a, a, a solid season. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about the newspapers. Andy made a good point earlier, and I showed that you know we're already well beyond newspapers, and in twenty two fifty eight they're still popping out paper newspapers that everybody's reading. That's pretty cool. They don't have like their little phones, you know, like we have now. Everybody's got a newspaper. I love it. I love it. Uh, Nathan, any final thoughts about season one? Uh, I did want to say, because I didn't get a chance when Andy was talking about June Lockhart before, that when I showed it to my friend and he was so upset that they didn't have a scene with uh, June Lockhart's character in Lanier yeah. somewhere in the episode, he was like, yeah. how can you have them both on the show and you don't give them at least like a scene or something together? Um, but, that was uh, the- intentional. Oh, was it intentional? Yeah, intentional. yeah, yeah go ahead, JMS. Go ahead, go ahead, Van. This no, is your no. story. Oh, well, we we discovered we did a little of our again half-ass internet research that um, JMS was asked that over and over, and he, he you know he gets very defensive very quickly about this stuff, mm. and I understand. And he said, uh, "I wasn't going to do it unless there was a story reason. I wasn't going to do it gratuitously because if I did it without a story reason, that's all anybody would be talking about and paying attention to, and they wouldn't be paying attention to the story." And he said, mm. "I couldn't think of a story reason to do it, so I didn't do it." And you know, he kind of digs his heel. He's very stubborn like that. He digs his heels in. So That's I'm a like, good reason, though. yeah, it makes well, sense. yeah, no, and I totally respect that. Uh, but what I want to say just about the series season as a whole is, I, I hate it in just about any show, and people say like skip the first season because invariably they're wrong, yes. you know, like because the season, <laughs> the season, not only are there plot details, like the thing about the dream. Which, you know, all that stuff in, in season three, when we actually skip forward and see, like, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, there's no context for it unless you're watching, you know, from the beginning and you know that Centauri had this thing and then Thelanos had this dream. And there's all the character stuff. And one of the things they do in season one, because they have the time to do it, is they do weird pairings. Like, normally you would never have Lanier and Garibaldi doing a thing together. But in season one, because they have the time, they do that. They're like, hey, what would happen if we put Lanier and Garibaldi together? And Lanier just becomes fascinated that Garibaldi's putting together this, like, antique, you know, motorcycle thing. And Lanier, though, being Lanier, is going to go by, like, do it, like, the most by-the-book, most nerdy way of, like, researching everything about it and learning all the details and even making it clean so that, you know, it doesn't cause any pollution. And I love it. And it's something you would never get if you didn't watch season one. And it tells you a lot about Lanier's character, you know, uh, just because of that interaction. And so, yeah, I, 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 yeah, watch season one. It's, it's so worth it. 
That's a very good point. Yeah. Although we did talk about how I don't I don't think I want to sit on the seat of a motorcycle that's got that giant glowing uh, energy thing about an inch away from my crotch. But you know I'll trust Lanier but shielding in. Uh, Bobby, your final thoughts as we say goodbye to season one. Oh, just you know, if you haven't watched it, watch it. Uh, it it pays off. Yeah. This is a series that grows exponentially, and it is it is rewarding in just about every way possible as you go through it. So, and and you really do need that foundation of the of the first season, you know, clunker episodes and 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 uh, cheap sets and all in order to to get the most out of it. I think. I mean, things do get better. I mean, it's like every other TV show. It starts out with a small budget, and it gets better, and they start doing things better. So, All right. Well, on that note, guys, I appreciate it. I hope we will see you guys back again when we get to the end of Season 2. We'll see if we can drag you both in at some point, because I had a a lot of fun tonight. Andy, did you you give the thumbs up to this episode? I thought it was very good. Absolutely. I loved loved the the, the fresh uh, perspectives that, that these two guys brought in, and a lot of fun to talk with. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. And we got. All right. Thank you guys so much. And I guess we're going to get on out of here for the for the end of season one. And we'll be Andy and I will join you again in I guess two weeks or so to talk about uh, points of departure and revelations. I believe it is. So, uh, good night, guys. We'll talk to you down the road. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.